0: Okay, for many people, the day as a young person that they move out of their family home is a most memorable day, isn't it? You know, the the bags get packed up and the taxi comes and they are sort of off to university or college or off to a new job somewhere. And that moment comes... Where they have to say goodbye to their to their mums and their dads, say goodbye to their parents—a memorable moment, I reckon. But it's also it can be, I'm sure, um, I'm sure there's a bit of joy there somewhere. But it's also, it can be a uh, poignant, it can be a bit of a, a, a sad moment. Well, it's that sort of thing, is that sort of sadness, that sort of poignancy that kind of sits over this chapter that we're going to look at together tonight. Because here too, if we think about it, there's, th- there's this moment of separation as well, isn't there? There's this moment when you've got a younger member of the family moving off, moving away, um, moving out of the family environment. Now, I'm sure you recall what has happened previously. In the previous chapters, we've seen God speak to Abram. He's given Abram all these wonderful promises a blessing, right? He's told Abram to move off to a new country, and Abram's done that. Then last week, if you were here, you remember what will we call it—a um, sort of less positive episode. Do you remember that when Abram sort of faced with famine? in the land and he goes off to, to Egypt what will we say about what he does there Well, let's say let's he makes uh, he makes a mess of things in Egypt doesn't he? well here we get into chapter 30 now what we find is a return now it's a return to the land because he's gone from Canaan to Egypt he's gone back up to Canaan but it's also a return to God isn't it? I mean do you see that in verse 4 because we're told that yeah abram has gone back up to Canaan but he what he does is he calls once again on the name of the Lord he's come back to God so I'll tell you what here's the plan, this is what we'll do let's take chapter 13 in a wonder, okay and let's really tonight, let's think about what God has to say to us here And there's three things we'll look at. Here's the first. Let's consider an example of conflict resolution. An example of conflict resolution. So what does that mean? Well, right at the start uh, of the chapter, we're introduced once again to this guy, Lot, aren't we? Now, Lot wasn't mentioned in that whole mess, that whole shambles in Egypt, he was there but he wasn't mentioned, now we know who Lot is, don't we because we've been told in previous chapters do you remember who Lot was, Lot was what was the relationship, Lot was Abram's nephew so Lot was the son of Abram's deceased brother Haran and Lot has gone into Abram's household and Lot is moving about with Abram. So we know that. But look what we've got here. We find in these verses that a bit of a problem begins. We find a dispute begins between Lot and Abram. So this is a conflict, a dispute, a problem between Abram's herdsmen and Lot's herdsmen. It's it's a problem, we can easily pick up, that centers on the land. It's a problem that that centers on, I guess, the land's inability to sustain all these new flocks and these new herds that that Abram and Lot have accumulated. So we get it. There's an issue, okay? There's a problem here. But what are we supposed to learn about it? Well everyone in the room I'm sure knows about The Nobel Peace Prize Okay Now The Nobel Peace Prize Is uh, Each year handed out And it's supposed to be handed out to the, to the person Who over the, the previous I was reading about this this week okay? And it's supposed to be handed out to the, the person Who over the previous year Over the previous 12 months Has done the sort of most work In the name of peace between nations. So that's part of it. But also the prize is supposed to establish the winner of the Nobel Peace Prize as a role model. That's the idea. You know, the winner is supposed to be sort of set up as an example for people to follow of someone who has really worked for and pursued peace. So it's an example. Now that's the Nobel Peace Prize, but that's exactly what we've got here as well. Because in this this conflict you've got, Genesis thirteen, this problem with Lot, what we see is Abram being set up as an example. And he's been set up as an example for this great nation that he is going to father. And he's been set up as an example Not just of someone who values peace But scripture God is setting Abraham up As one who actively takes steps for Actively works towards peace So the question we've got to work out is What does he do? How does Abraham here pursue peace? What is it that he does That's setting this example And there's a few things First of all, think about this In conflict here Abram takes the initiative so in this problem that you've got Abram makes the the first move I wonder do you see that like um, try and sort of imagine what this problem was like Like you've got all these herdsmen here I don't know much about herdsmen but I'm pretty sure they're not they don't seem like the most peace loving guys in the world you know you've got a Imagine, if you will, tonight, the the tension that's in this camp here. But do you see how Abram deals with it? He does not let this situation kind of fester and settle. You know, these people are bickering. You can imagine it. It's all getting really tense. He doesn't do what we would do. He doesn't kind of huff and say, well, I'm not speaking to Lot if Lot's not speaking to me. Abram doesn't do that, does he? No, have a look. He goes... To Lot, he makes the first move. Verse 8, let's not have any quarreling between you and me. So in conflict, in a situation of problem, Abram's making the first move. Okay, something else? We see that in conflict, Abram also reminds Lot of the bond that they share, of what they have in common. You see, from from Abram's point of view, he doesn't want something like this to cause problems. He doesn't want a lack of grass to ruin what is such an important relationship, does he? He doesn't want something kind of just so trivial to ruin such a a loving and close relationship. So what does he do? Yes, he goes to him. But he also reminds Lot, Lot, we're close, we love each other, man. You know, we're family. Look what he says. He says, verse 8, we are brothers. So he reminds Lot of what they share. And then lastly, and I I genuinely think this is the most remarkable thing. In the pursuit of peace, Abram rescinds his rights. He gives up his rights. Because, you see... Abram was, what do we know about Abram? We know that he was Lot's elder. We know that he was Lot's uncle. We know that Abram was the leader of this ever-increasing tribe, this clan that's moving about the place. And what does that mean? Well, in this culture, it means Abram's the man. He's the main man. He's 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 the guy that calls all the shots. Abram asked the, the elder. He decided where these people go. He decides what they do. And yet, what does Abram do here? He gives up all of that. He gives up his rights. And effectively he says to Lot, do you see it? Effectively, he just says, Lot, okay, I tell you what, I should have the choice. You choose. You choose. You have a look at the land. You decide where you want to go. So we've got Abram taking the initiative, making the first move that's bold. He's also reminding Lot what they share, but also he's given up these rights. Now, here's what we've got to get straight. What have we just seen? We've seen that Abram's been set up as an example for the great nation that he will father. Ah. But what does Paul tell us in Galatians 3? He tells us that those who belong to Christ are Abram's seed. Do you see what that means? Do do, do you get how important this is? It means that, that Abram is being set up as an example here, not just for the people of Israel but that Abraham is being set up as an example for you and me it means that we should be people who are looking at him and seeing that yes, we should value peace, that we should be people who cherish and work towards peace, not just because Abraham does this we should work for peace because peace is at the, the core Of the very character of God. Hebrews 12. Make every effort to live in peace with all men. That the Christian life. Is to be this. Is to be lived in this constant pursuit of peace. And I tell you this. Especially. Amongst the family. Of faith. So I tell you what. Let's bring this down. And let's get real. Just for a moment. I know that seeking peace and avoiding conflict within a church and with with other Christians is very, very, very difficult to do. It is difficult to avoid conflict with Christians. And it may often involve us swallowing our pride and going and making that first step. And it may involve us Reminding each other of what we share and who we are in Jesus Christ. And to keep peace, it also may involve this just counterintuitive, countercultural element of, of, of in, just entirely rescinding our rights and being willing to, to be wronged. But the truth is that we have to work for peace. Because it reflects the character of the one who has provided peace between us and God. And also because we're simply told, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. So we see an example here, and it is an example of conflict resolution. We seek peace. Okay, secondly, let's let's consider a, a further example. Let's consider an example of choosing poorly. So we've seen an example of conflict resolution. Let's think about an example of choosing poorly. Okay, over the last couple of months, I've seen a few comments on Facebook, my wife's Facebook page, but don't tell her that I was on it. Uh, but it's comments from ministers and they are talking about children's talks. You know, the, the talks at the front of the church. And the guys who are writing these things, they seem to be complaining that, especially if there's a lot of visitors to a congregation, lots of visiting ministers rather, that kids' talks can uh, very often have a similar message. You know, can be kind to see me. You know, and, you know the sort of thing, I'm sure. You know the pastor, a visiting pastor will take out a bag and have some lots of toys in the bag. and Some of the toys are pretty mediocre toys, but one of the toys looks spectacular, looks like a fantastic toy. And the pastor asked the kids to choose which of the toys they would like to play with. And of course, we know what they're going to choose. They choose the one that looks fantastic. Then the pastor gets them to inspect the toy a little bit closer and they look and they realize, oh, it's not quite as good as it looked and it's a bit marked and broken, it's not got any batteries and actually it's a bit rubbish. And the pastor says, you know, all that glistens ain't gold and that we shouldn't, you know, make choices based upon superficial attraction to something. know, we've all heard that type of talk from A minister, children's thought. Now, if we're honest, you know, that's good for the children. But if we're honest, even as adults, that sort of message is very, very difficult for us to learn, isn't it? You know, making choices not based upon that which is superficial. Now that is actually a very, very hard lesson for us to learn. And it is what we see here in Genesis chapter 13, isn't it? You see, we get the idea that that Abram resolves this conflict, settles the tension in the camp but then what we've got to picture or imagine is Abram and Lot up on a hill you know in an elevated position and they're overlooking uh, the land and, and Lot is given the choice of where he wants to go, isn't he? And what he does is he inspects the land, he has a look, you can imagine him just scoping it out, rubbing his hands, you know what I'm gonna choose. He sees what we told Do you see it, where he sees the well watered lands of the plain of Jordan. He sees it, loves it, moves off, settles there. So the question is what we're we supposed to learn about how he chooses where to go? And what he chooses as well? And I'm sure you see it that we're supposed to get straight away that the method he uses for choosing here is just madness. I mean, it's, it's just so wrong. Do you see that he makes his choice here based on sight rather than faith? Do you see that? I mean, there's, there's nothing here that would suggest that, that Lot consults God. I mean, he's not. He's got this huge, big life choice in front of him, and the, the guy's not thinking spiritually at all. He's not thinking humbly. Do you know if, the, if this was a cartoon? You would have that moment, you know, where the sort of the dollar signs appear, or the pound signs appear in his eyes. You know, he sees this land, and he's lured by the, 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 the attractiveness of it. Do you see how superficial it is? Man, it's just so shallow. And do you see what he's not caring about? Do you see what he doesn't value? I mean, look at it. The plain of Jordan looks nice, so nice, it's compared with Eden. But look what was going on there. This was where Sodom and Gomorrah were. He didn't seem to care. This is a place of sin that he's choosing. This is a place of wickedness. This is a, a place of immorality. But look. He just, he just couldn't care less. It looked nice. It looks attractive. So in his mind, he's there. He's already moved off. Now, you'll be pleased to know that I'm not gonna take out a bag and take out any toys and start doing a kid's talk or anything like that. But you do see, don't you, that what we've spoken about is right that we are not good at this stuff. See, sin has created a, a weakness within us that means that we pursue things. It means that we make massive life choices and we do so based on superficial things. We make life choices based on superficial attractiveness and that is a problem. And if I'm honest, I think that it is a particular problem for our congregation. And I'll tell you why. When you read Genesis 13, do you see how similar Lot's situation is to the situation that we are in as a congregation here? Very, very similar situation, Lot and us. I mean, we're, we're told that Lot is kind of lured into this situation of the sort of wickedness of the cities and the, the surrounding area. Now that in some ways couldn't be any more relevant to us, could it? And I don't mean in the sort of old school way where preachers would go, beware of the, the, the immorality of the pubs and the clubs of the city. That's, that's not really what I mean. What I mean, surely, is beware of the false attractiveness of the things that we don't often think about. You know, London's awesome. London is fantastic. And we've got all these job opportunities, and we've got all these wonderful people to meet, and we've got all these great things to do. But at the same time, that also means that as Christians, we've got to be very, very careful about that. We've got to think spiritually. We've got to think very carefully about the decisions, about the choices that we make. So ask yourself tonight, is there, the, is there a chance that just now in your life, you are doing exactly what law is doing? And in the big decisions in your life, are you making these calls based on superficial things, or, and the big calls, the big choices in your life, is your decision making, is it gospel decision making? You no, know, is the good news that the good news that Jesus Christ has risen from the dead, your salvation, is that having an impact? Is that infiltrating how you make decisions about your future, about who you're with and and what are you doing? Is your decision-making gospel decision-making? Because I tell you, if we know anything, we know that Lot's choosing of Sodom and Gomorrah was an absolute disaster, wasn't it? Let us learn from him. And let's think spiritually about the decisions we make John 7.24 says Do you know it? It says Do not judge by mere appearances But judge always with right judgment So an example of conflict resolution An example of choosing political We close A third one An example of increasing grace. An example of increasing grace. I love this. So we've had Abram and Lot and they've returned to Canaan, right? Then Abram's marvelously solved this problem, this bickering. We've had Lot choose poorly, choose superficially. Okay, at the end of chapter 13, we see Abram's generosity to Lot rewarded by God. Do you see that? Uh, Do you think that God speaks to Abram and he says basically to Abram, he says, I'm going to give you land. He says to Abram, I'm going to give you children. Now, What you've got to appreciate is that some people Think there's a problem here Okay, Some people think there's a problem with Genesis 13 So you've got what are called source critics um, Critics of scripture And they say that this last part Of Genesis 13 um, It has to be a later edition That there's a problem with the text They would say that so similar Are the 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 promises of Genesis 13 to the promises that we read in Genesis 12 that there's a mistake in the text okay now what we've got to see is of course that the critics are missing the point aren't they they're missing the whole message they're missing really what what, what God is saying to Abraham here now do you see what God's saying here abram's come back to god and he's come back to the altar and he's worshiping god he's praising god he's asking god for forgiveness and in god reiterating these promises at the end of chapter 13 it is as though god is saying to abram see all that stuff in egypt See all that misery you caused in the intervening period. See all of that mess. That's now no longer counted against you. Do you see it? You read twelve, thirteen. It's almost like for God, with this reiterating of these promises, that that mess in Egypt no longer even exists for for him and to show that he repeats the promises to Abraham. And get this, not just that. Do you remember what we saw a couple of weeks ago? Do you remember what we saw that here God intensifies and he extends and reveals more of his grace and blessing to Abraham? Think about what he says at the end of Genesis 13. He doesn't say, he doesn't repeat exactly the same as as chapter 12, does he? Look, he doesn't say, I'm going to give you land. He intensifies what he says to Abram. He extends it. He says, I am going to give you all of this land and I am going to give you it Forever. And then what does he say? He doesn't just say, again, I'm going to give you offspring, Abraham, or this, this great nation. It's more, it's, your offspring will be as numerous as the, as the dust of the earth. Do you see that this is an intensification? It is an extending out and a further revelation of God's blessing and grace. So let me close by underlining what this means for you, for me. I wonder, do you see tonight that what God does for Abram here is exactly what he's done for you, if you're a Christian here. It's exactly what he has done for you. Do you see that when we bow to God in Christ, that moment of salvation, what God does is he takes our episodes in Egypt And he says, I am not counting them against you anymore. He takes all of the mess that we've created, and he takes all of the black marks, he takes all of our Egypts, and he renders them against someone else. It is as if, and it's not the case, but it is as if God forgets all about our transgressions. Because they are ours no longer. Now that's amazing. That's amazing. But more than that, and I promise you this is where we end, but I do long for you to get this. As with Abram, our experience of God's grace, get this, it will only intensify from today onward. Think about that. Think about it. As with Abram, from the point of of him hearing God's voice, he only knew this increase and extension of the the understanding and experience of, of blessing. So too, from that point of your salvation, your exposure to God's grace... It is only going to extend, get bigger, get wider, intensify, that such is the work of the Holy Spirit in your soul, that each day that you are alive on this earth, every single day, you are going to know more and more the experience of God's grace, that is just, He is going to reveal it more and more and more. And we think, oh, that's that's wonderful. Every day we're going to know more about God's blessing and, and grace and we're going to be molded into the shape of Christ. And we think that's wonderful, you know? But then when we get to heaven, we think, okay, everything's just going to sort of plateau out, isn't it? We're going to get to heaven and it's going to be joyous. We're going to get there. We're going to see our Savior. And we are going to be perfect. And everything's just going to be at a standstill and constant. No, that's not how it's going to be. You see that each day that we spend in glory for eternity, every day is going to be a greater day than the day before. Such as the, the limitless, the, 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 the boundless character and love and goodness of God. Every day, a better day than the day before. We're just going to take step after step after step after step. into the the majesty into the goodness and the love of God from today from today onward every day forevermore does the grace of God not just take your breath away does it not no wonder as we leave Genesis chapter 13 do you know what we see we see Abram bound down picking up stones to build an altar to praise his God. He had, as we do tonight, all the reason in the world to praise his God. Let's